This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Hey, Lance. Yep. Did you know that Wakanda is not the only hidden location in popular fiction? I did know that. So let's recap. So there's the land of Oz. Hogwarts. Yeah, Atlantis. Narnia. Oh, a good one. Uh, Neverland. Island of Tortuga. Uh-huh. Oh, how about uh, El Dorado? Treasure Island. The Fortress of Solitude. The DMV. Th- that's not fictional or, or hidden. But I wish it were. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And in this episode, we're talking about Black Panther. This is a very big milestone uh, episode. We're talking about one of uh, my favorite characters, Black Panther. And uh, this is, uh, we're featuring Black Panther as part of our episodes honoring Black History Month. Last issue, we featured Static, and we're continuing to feature Black characters, creators, and their cultural impact. So we're we're happy that you're listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, you ready to get started, Lance? Yes, let's do this. All right. Well, Black Panther is the first major published superhero of African descent in mainstream American comics. Originally created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby for Marvel Comics in 1966, Black Panther has become one of the most iconic and well-known superheroes in the last few years due to a massively popular film adaptation. Really? Was it popular? A little bit. We're going to talk about that later. Okay. Even though there have been many people to hold the title of Black Panther, including his sister Shuri in the comics, uh, this episode we are just going to be focusing on T'Challa and his comics journey. Both the King of Wakanda and superhero adventurer, Black Panther is sometimes referred to as Marvel's version of Batman. Or is that Moon Knight? Anyway, T'Challa is an iconic character with a ton of history. Now, this is going to be a big issue, so we're going to see how much we can get through with our normal time, but it might run a little bit longer, so you might have to take this episode in chunks. He has many aliases. I will just name a few of them, but he's been... He's called himself Black Leopard before. There was a period in time, I think you're going to talk about it a little bit later, mm-hmm. um, when he referred to himself as Black Leopard. Uh, the initial idea for the character was Cole Tiger, but they changed it to Black Panther. He has been called uh, Demisa Sarki, which is the, the panther. Um, he has been he has impersonated Daredevil before. He's been called the Great Cat. He has been called in Wakanda Harama Fall, which is Wakandan for the Orphan King. It's kind of an insult, but, but, you know, they're, it still sounds super cool. Still sounds cool. He has been called the King of the Avengers. He's also been called the King of the dead, which has to do with a thing in the storyline where he sort of led a lot of the dead black Panthers. Anyway, he went find alias Luke Charles when he lived in uh, the United States uh, as a school teacher. He's also taken the alias Mr. Okonkwo when he lived in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, he's been called the Orphan King, the Panther, Panther Devil, Panther King, and by some of his own people, he's been called T'Charlie. Ah, uh, the, the very intimidating T'Charlie. 
<laughs> Very. I think that was actually sort of a, a jab at him sort of wanting to be more American than some of his Wakandan uh, people call them that. I, I actually found one reference in the comics when somebody called him that. I was like, ooh. So, uh, Snap. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, his powers include the power to draw upon the knowledge, strength, and experience of every previous Black Panther. Pretty cool. That would come in uh, handy. Superhuman strength, speed, reflexes, agility, stamina, endurance, durability, and enhanced senses like smell and hearing. He also has a genius level intellect. He's a master martial artist, tactician, strategist, and inventor. And of course, similar to Iron Man, his suit is a big crux of his power. He has a vibranium woven suit, vibranium weapons, and vibranium equipment. A lot of the comics take place in Wakanda, but of course, a big part of some of his storylines take place in places like New York. Uh, there's also a recent storyline that takes place in space, <laughs> the intergalactic uh, kingdom of Wakanda, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And, you know, because he's a, an Avenger all around the world. So he, he definitely gets around the Marvel universe, but a lot of his best storylines take place in his uh, home country. He is the king of Wakanda, but he's also the protector um, and chief of the P- Panther clan. Um, his affiliations include being in the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Force, the Ultimates, the Mighty Avengers, the New Avengers, and of course, uh, his own uh, country. His supporting characters include his sister Shuri, Everett Ross, Okoye, his ex-wife Storm, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit later. Why they, um, they got to be ex-wife now? <laughs> well, it was annulled, but but I think they're kind of on again. Uh, they're they're sort of an on again thing. Match. Still have kind of a hot and cold uh, relationship. It's it's still okay. Yeah, it's epic. A, so good. Yeah. Bring it back. Um, major antagonists include uh, names like Eric Killmonger, Ulysses Claw, Manape, Doctor Doom, Craven the Hunter, Achebe, Malice, and believe it or not, Namor is actually one of his big antagonists in throughout the comics. And I hope, <laughs> I hope the rumors are true that we get to see Namor in Black Panther 2, but we'll see. So how do we encapsulate 50 plus years of Black Panther lore? And how did this all get started? For that, we go into the archives. Created by comic legends, Stanley and Jack Kirby. Black Panther is pretty much one of the most iconic characters today. We covered Stanley's history during our Spider-Man issue, so if you want to learn more about him, go ahead and check that one out. But let's focus on Kirby. Jack Kirby was born Jacob Kurtzberg in New York City back in 1917. Kirby trained to draw by tracing art from comic strips and editorial cartoons, which I feel like so many of us start drawing just by tracing. I remember doing that. I mean, that's mostly what I did with Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man and X-Men. Yeah, did the same thing with Dragon Ball Z. After being rejected by the Educational Alliance for drawing, quote, too fast with charcoal, Kirby would go on to draw cartoons for the newspaper of the Boys Brotherhood Republic. At 14, Kirby enrolled at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, only to leave a week later after realizing they wanted to work on projects indefinitely. And the future man who would be king wanted to and i quote get things done that's pretty epic he's like i don't want to go here you're going to make me work on the same thing forever i actually want to do things and move on 
he would enter the emerging comic book industry in the 1930s, drawing a variety of comic-related projects under various pen names, including Jack Curtis, Kurt Davis, Fred Sand, Ted Gray, and Teddy, before settling on the iconic name we know today, Jack Kirby. He joined the Lincoln Newspaper Syndicate in 1936, drawing comic strips and single-panel advice cartoons until 1939, where he moved on to the theatrical animation company Fleischer Studios as an in-betweener, which is basically the artist who fills in the action between the major movement frames for shows like Popeye. Kirby began writing and drawing for Eisner and Iger, where he recalls working on his first actual comic book, Wild Boy Magazine. He first used the surname Kirby as, get this, Lance Kirby. Yeah, my there name. Go. There we go. <laughs> and he used I didn't that, realize he used so many names. Right? Like he, yeah, he all over the place. And he's like James Bond. Mm-hmm, man, Kirby has alter egos like crazy. Makes sense because he gives so many different names to his characters. So he uses Lance Kirby in two Lone Ranger stories for Eastern Color Printing's famous funnies issues 63 and 64. He finally settled on Jack Kirby because it reminded him of actor James Cagney. He would move on to work for Fox Feature Syndicate exploring the narrative of the Blue Beetle, which is actually pretty cool. It was at that time that Kirby would meet and collaborate with cartoonist and Fox editor Joe Simon. And if you know anything about Kirby and Simon, you know that they have a very big history of making a large impact on the comic book industry. They would work on Fawcett Comics' premiere issue of Captain Marvel Adventures together, which would be the first solo series for Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, releasing in 1941. This powerhouse pairing would then be hired by Timely Comics, where they would create the iconic Captain America in late 1940, who would first appear in Captain America Comics issue 1 in March 1941. Simon became the company's editor, asking Kirby to join on as art director. Captain America was a success, but not all was well behind the scenes. Timely's owner, Martin Goodman, was not paying the duo what they were promised, and as a result, they made plans to work for national comic publications, who later would become DC Comics. Kirby and Simon settled on a deal with National Comics that would pay them 500 bucks a week versus the 75 to 85 they were making at Timely at the time. For fear of being let go, they tried to keep the secret with little success as many people at the company knew exactly what they were doing, including editorial assistant Stan Lee. Goodman dismissed the creative duo after finishing their work in Captain America Comics 10. After multiple failed editor-assigned projects for, from National, they were told to just do what you want, which was probably the best thing you could say to Kirby and Simon. They revitalized the Sandman feature for Adventure Comics and created the superhero Manhunter. In 1942, they started the Boy Commandos feature, which would be the pair's first ongoing project to graduate to its own title, selling over a million copies a month and becoming National's third best-selling title. as their comic success was underway, Kirby was drafted into the U.S. Army as World War II was underway. He would land on Omaha Beach two and a half months after D-Day. After a lieutenant learned of Kirby's artistic comic experience, he was assigned the dangerous task to scout ahead and draw reconnaissance maps. 
which is pretty crazy. Following the war in 1946, Simon set up work for Kirby and himself at Harvey Comics. Now, the pair was pretty upset that Atlas, who formerly Timely Comics, and if you've listened to our other episodes, you know that Timely became Atlas and then Atlas became Marvel. The pair were upset because Atlas relaunched Captain America in 1954, and as a result, the pair made the comic Fighting American, which is basically literally was Captain America. And they wanted to make it to basically show how Captain America should be written and drawn. And it started as an anti-communist dramatic hero, but then quickly turned into a superhero satire piece. Fighting America. Uh-huh. In 1954, Kirby and Simon would launch their own comic company, Mainline Publications, which would last all but one year. The team parted ways in 1956. Now, while at National, Kirby would co-create the Challengers of the Unknown in Showcase 6 alongside Dick and Dave Wood, as well as work on the Green Arrow. Now, Kirby left National Comics in 1957 over a contractual dispute with editor Jack Schiff. However, in 58, Kirby began to freelance regularly for Atlas, despite his negative feelings towards Lee, because he believed Lee was... One of the one who disclosed to Timely that he and Simon were working on a secret project for National Comics. He would work on titles such as Amazing Adventures, Strange Tales, Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense, and World of Fantasy, where he would co-create characters alongside Stan Lee, like Groot and Fin Fang Foom. It was in November of 1961 that Kirby returned to superhero glory with the release of Fantastic Four alongside Stan Lee. Despite the feelings that they had for one another, Kirby and Lee were a powerhouse duo in the industry. They created an insane number of characters together. And I, I do want to mention that some of these characters had additional creators like Larry Lieber and Don Heck. But just to give you an idea of what this pair worked on, they created, so we have Fantastic Four in 1961, Hulk, Thor, and Doctor Doom in 1962, Iron Man and X-Men in 1963, Inhumans in 1965, and finally, Black Panther in July of 1966. Smack dab on the cover of Fantastic Four, issue 52. Black Panther's name actually predates the October 1966 founding of the Black Panther Party. However, it doesn't predate the Panther logo of the party's predecessor, Lowndes County Freedom Organization, or the LCFO nor did it predate the segregated World War II Black Panther's tank battalion. Stan Lee denied that the comic is connected to any political uses of the term Black Panther and cites the connection to the LCFO as, quote, a strange coincidence. Lee revealed that the name was inspired by a pulp adventure hero who has a Black Panther as a companion. Chris mentioned this earlier that it was actually Jack Kirby's original concept art for Black Panther where he used the name Coal Tiger. Influences on the character included historical figures such as 14th century Mali Empire Sultan Mansa Musa and 20th century Jamaican activist Marcus Garvey, as well as biblical figures such as Ham and Canaan. T'Challa is the first black superhero in American mainstream comics, with very few black heroes existing before him and none with actual superpowers. These included characters in the single-issue, low-distributed, all-Negro comics, 1, 1947, where we have Waku, Prince of the Bantu, who starred in his own feature in the omnibus title 
Jungle Tales, from Marvel's 1950s predecessor, Atlas Comics. In Dell Comics, Western character Lobo was the first black person to star in his own comic title. Now, previous non-caricatured black supporting characters in comics include U.S. Army Infantry Private Gabriel Jones of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. In a guest appearance in Fantastic Four, issue 119 in 1972, Black Panther briefly tried to use the name Black Leopard to avoid connotations with the Black Panther Party, but that name didn't last. The character's name was changed back to Black Panther in Avengers 105. takes us on to the pull list um now there's there's a lot of really great things to to mention here um while researching and reading some of the past issues of black panther and on all the content over the last 50 years kind of like spider-man i was surprised about you know how much there was but i was also kind of surprised that there were big gaps in the timeline of black panther um namely there was not much in the 80s and the early 90s. There have been six major separate volumes or relaunches of the Black Panther book over the past 50 years since the character's creation, so we're going to mention those as we kind of go through this. I have definitely a couple of favorites here, as I'm sure you do too, Lance, Yep. but I do want to mention kind of how the book has sort of restarted and what, what brought those restarts and that sort of thing. So my first recommendation, if you just want to see like early Black Panther and you're into those kind of uh, 60s and 70s kind of you know style books the first one i'm going to recommend is marvel masterworks black panther volume one which enca- encapsulates jungle action six through 24 and it's a little cringy and and you can probably tell why there's a couple reasons because because it was you know it's a it's a major black character written by and illustrated by white men <laughs> And, you know, in all fairness to Don McGregor, he does a great job. And in the interviews I read with him and stuff in the books, like he, he definitely loves the character. Like he has this whole thing where he wrote in one of the books about he was a very accomplished writer. He he wasn't doing this for the money. He did it because he loved Marvel Comics and he did this book. He was given this book, Jungle Action, um, with the character of Black Panther, who was already introduced in fantastic four and was an avenger and they wanted to give him some of the some solo titles and they basically gave him this book because they thought it was going to die like they were like well we'll just give him this and eventually this will phase out and he kept it going um the 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 interesting villains that he brought in and and kind of fleshing out the world of wakanda and in this book they have a couple of things at the end of each issue where they would normally just put like backup stories but McGregor was the writer and he actually fought to have pinups of characters and he put like cool maps of Wakanda and like the Royal palace and, and like, uh, you know, the, the central chambers and stuff like that. Like all of these cool little extra things. Yeah. Giving it dimensions. Yeah. He kind of fleshed it out. And I think that really enticed people to be like, wow, this is a whole other side of, of a Marvel location that we haven't seen before. And I think that was really key in like establishing uh, Black Panther as 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 a a different kind of hero. 
Panther's Rage was was told as a serialized multi-part story from the very beginning. It's considered to be one of the first superhero graphic novels. It features the first appearance of Killmonger and other characters like Venom. Double double M. With an, a double M who is a snake master guy. <laughs> um, Wakabi, Malice, uh, Baron. Uh, and not all, all these are villains, by the way. Um, Wakabi is his like best friend and sort of second in command, who's actually in the movie. Malice, Baron Macabre, King Cadaver, who is this big green-headed, you know, pus-filled henchman guy, uh, Salamander Cruel, and Lord Carnage or Carnage. Carnage. There's a so lot yeah, of Venom like and Carnage. Venom and Car- <laughs> so there's Venom and Carnage. But Carnage is K-A-R-N-A-J. <laughs> so can we get just like a spin-off like storyline with Venom and Carnage versus Venom and Carnage? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's I'm there that for should it. definitely happen. Uh, Black Panther also fights white gorillas, crocodiles, dinosaurs, wolves, and many other animals. This is a, I think, one of those things that are like, well, let's just have him fight an animal for a couple pages, which is pretty awesome. But it's also it's kind of interesting how often that happens. It also features a long romance with American singer character named Monica Lynn. And this goes on for a couple of years. You see this character come back a few times. Um, she is in a way a a a uh, a character that we uh as you know uh readers can be brought in as this um outsider american perspective um because we've never seen wakanda before and this this um this character um monica is brought in and she's always like what what's going on here i don't understand this and and she's kind of constantly reminding us the readers that like this is all different and the wakandan traditions and african traditions are a little bit different so it's kind of an interesting character but um she definitely pops up uh, a few times over the years um as a a love love interest and at one point um they're they're set to get married but um it doesn't actually doesn't actually happen it's notable aside from one white villain character who is venom (laughs) the entire the entire cast of this book in the in jungle action featuring black panther was black, which is very rare and unprecedented move from a major comics publisher, even in the seventies. So this is a hint that Marvel and, and to some extent, you know, DC, which also is starting to do this in the late seventies, um, featuring characters that are, uh, or entire casts of the comics that are black, um, that are different races. He's pushing some boundaries in, in a book that's already pretty controversial it didn't sell that well but um if you, so again if you like early kind of you know 70s marvel work and don't mind the slightly kind of cringeworthy i mean there's it's not as bad as like when we talked about some of the stuff for like black widow yeah or or some of those some of those early spider-man issues where it's like oh that's uh, that doesn't work like anymore. how he's talking about women yeah that's, that doesn't <laughs> um, work anymore yeah, I mean it 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 features so much of just like the rich world of Wakanda that it it it's not it's kind of like okay, this is this is really interesting. It's just it's just kind of good. It it's not so much about race as it is about like this is a king and he is trying to deal with all these people invading his country and like dealing with, you know, his family and everything like that. So, um I found it kind of interesting. Um it's it's definitely fun to read uh, even though the villains are ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so that's, that was the first one. Okay. And then just because you mentioned how this was one of the first times where there were majority of like a black cast within a comic book, 
when I was doing research, I found where Stanley was talking about like why they decided to create a black superhero because at the time there there wasn't a, like a black superhero with superpowers. Yeah. And he had just mentioned that at the time he like when he was when they were creating these this character or just characters in general, he looked around at like the office and he was just like, well, we have we have artists and we have writers that are black. So why don't we have more black characters in our books? And so it yeah. wasn't it wasn't supposed to be like this this movement. It was just, hey, th- it's a thing like there's people of color. Why aren't they in our books? It, it should yeah. be the norm. It's like, oh, people are come from different countries and different nationalities. Maybe they should like be there included, which, hey, it, it panned out because Black Panther crushes it now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The first official Black Panther book, because again, this this previous book was called Jungle Action, which itself is a little cringy, but it was Jungle Action featuring Black Panther. So the, the first book that's actually called Black Panther was um, came out in 1975, and this was created for Jack Kirby's return to Marvel Comics. He had done a little stint with DC, came back to Marvel, and they said, hey, um, we're going to give you Black Panther. And he wrote, illustrated, and edited the book for 12 issues. Um, it's been said he didn't really like working on a character he had worked on extensively before in the Avengers um, and Fantastic Four. So he was kind of like over it after that. And uh, it went on for a little while longer, you know, a couple of years, but ultimately kind of died out and it was canceled in 1979. Between 1980 and 1988, there was no Black Panther book. And this was the kind of thing that surprised me. Uh, He popped up, of course, in Avengers he popped up here and there in like Iron Man and, and Fantastic Four, but but and Wakanda was still mentioned as this place that writers could take their characters uh, in various books, but there was no actual Black Panther uh, book. Uh, but I do want to point out one thing that I think is kind of cool for the pull list, which is Marvel Team Up 100, which is normally featuring Spider-Man with another character. But at the a backup story at the end of this book is done by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. That's a solid team. They just finished their historic Dark Phoenix run, and they have a little story at the end of Marvel Team Up 100 about how a young T'Challa meet uh, meets Aurora Monroe, who would later, of course, become the powerful mutant Storm. So that's that's really cool. And I got to see some of the some of that issue. I had never seen it before. and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And it's John Byrne art on any X-Men character. Mm-hmm is just it's it makes my heart sing <laughs> and, uh and um we're going to talk about uh storm in a future a very soon issue a uh, little hint there so stay tuned for that in the 80s they have this little you know backstory history flashback of when they were both young but and and it kind of shows them as you know they they meet up a little bit later and then later on like years and years later there's definitely this romance that happens between those two. Mm. So it's kind of cool. Like if you want to see the, the the seeds of that, that issue is, is where that happens, which is pretty cool. Fast forward again to uh, the second volume or kind of retelling, uh, which is 1988. There is a four issue miniseries. Uh, Don McGregor comes back. 
uh, with a sequel storyline to Panther's Rage called Panther's Quest. And this is the crazy thing is how this was published. It would run in bi-weekly anthology titled Marvel Comics Presents, beginning with the issue 13 in February 1989. It ran for an unprecedented 25 chapters wow. told with eight pages every two weeks. So and it, and it double sized chapters at the end. It was drawn by the legendary Daredevil and Tomb of Dracula artist Gene Colan. And this story would feature Black Panther looking for his stepmother, Ramonda, in apartheid-stricken South Africa. So uh, not only topical, but uh, also a very beloved character that people could relate to. Um, he faces off against an evil human trafficker named Pretorius, just this horrible, horrible guy. Um, and he's, you know, Black Panther's looking for his mom, or his stepmom. Okay, later that year, Don McGregor was back with a four-issue story called Black Panther, Panther's Prey, where he fights this really weird-looking dude with, like, pterodactyl wings. And uh, But um, it, it's kind of neat to see that he uh, he got a little bit of a book, a, a four-issue book, um, bringing back the character. Um, it features um, his love interest from the 70s again, Monica. Uh, comes back and it's kind of a story about her and him as well as fighting this uh, weird villain. And that's about it. And he kind of, ha he pops up in Avengers, you know, but he doesn't have his own book uh, other than those, uh, those, those books from uh, Don McGregor and, and with different artists. So then tell us what happens in 1998. In 1998, we have Black Panther, Killmonger's Rage, which was actually just issues 16 through 20 of this run. Uh, and it was written by Christopher Priest and art done by Sal Voluto. And this run has a lot of similarities to the Black Panther film. Now, just because there's a lot of great dialogue between T'Challa and Eric, or a.k.a. Killmonger, which was very similar to their conversations that they had in the film, uh, except this time when they're fighting, they literally will fight for an entire day and just wreck each other and, while having these really deep discussions about things. And then they'll just stop and they'll be like, okay, that's enough fighting for today. We'll pick it up at dawn tomorrow. Like, yeah. they, they just tear each other apart. And it's really interesting. And Christopher Priest would write a lot of Black Panther, actually. One of the first stories is called Enemy of the State. And a lot of this, this new telling um, is notable. And it kind of is, I think, the start of where Black Panther starts to become a lot more socially conscious and 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 uh, people are become more aware of him not just because he's in the avengers but like as his own character and how he's a different uh, a different kind of character in the marvel universe so he he shows up in new york at this this storyline a lot of priests storylines uh is takes place in new york and eventually they'll go back to wakanda but um you you have the introduction of the dora milaje so it actually shows he's kind of escorted by the you know, wives, wives in training is kind of what they're referred to. And they're these almost like escorts, is I guess the best yes. way to say it. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're wearing these like slim little mini skirt, you know, uh, deals. And, and you don't see like how it starts, but uh, the mythos is like, they, they start escorting him around when they're very young and they're, they're trained and they're kind of picked from different tribes um, in, in Wakanda to, to pay homage to um, 
to the king of Wakanda, to the Black Panther. And eventually one of them will become the wife. And, and one of them, um, there, so there's two that are featured in this book in, in the Christopher Priest run. Uh, there's Okoye and there's um, Nakia. And these are the two characters that later, they're later featured in the movie. The character of Nakia, whose character really changes <laughs> from the comic to the movie for the um, it's a much 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 different character and so much better yeah in the in the comic she's like she's really in love with them and she's like you know a lot younger and it's and she's like no he really wants to love me and she like tries to kind of sabotage his relationship with um monica and you know it, it, it's 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 a little weird but um but it's it's also kind of neat to see the introduction of the dormalage so but it also introduces everett ross uh, which is a great character and and kind of specifically this, you know, this white guy in the CIA. He he even calls himself like the king of the white guys or something at one <laughs> point. He's he's very nerdy and he's very small and very weak. And he's this sort of um, sort of attache American CIA agent that's there to escort um, this representative from Wakanda. And he goes around and sort of forms this relationship with um, T'Challa and it's it's he's kind of a funny character he's mm-hmm. uh, but 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 he the, the story is sort of told by him the the entire run this enemy of the state and then later later issues are sort of told through Ross's point of view and it sort of makes T'Challa very enigmatic because they're like you know he doesn't take any he does we don't really talk and and he doesn't say much but they sort of form this friendship and they get into all these scrapes together and everything and so uh, those those two, if you like those characters from the movie, um, the Dora Milaje and and Everett Ross, um, those are those are really fun, and they're introduced in this um, this early run, this late '90s run by Christopher Priest. And then we move on to Volume Four, which came out in 2004, where we have Black Panther one through six, which is known as the Who Is Black Panther storyline by writer Reginald Hudlin and artist, the iconic John Romita Jr., who it, pretty much if, if John Romita Jr. does any art, kind of just want to check out the book anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but this series was really interesting because it looked at T'Challa's past and his dealings with Ulysses Claw, who you also get to see in the film and their relationship with one another, as well as having T'Challa fight the rhino uh, encounters with Black Knight and then also Radioactive Man. Yeah, and and not to go too off on a tangent, but like John Romita Jr. both infuriates me and amazes me because his his artwork style is kind of weirdly simple, but there's so much going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, his take both of them. Um, I don't think this is the best Black Panther storyline, but I also like that it sort of starts off on a new foot and and the whole thing is like who is black panther they definitely are telling this for like they're trying to get new readers they're like hey there's this is a a, a good jumping on point well, and let's be honest any number one issue of anything is the company trying to get you to jump on the bandwagon to read for sure that's yeah, why they but, that's why they do legacy numbering now because they do a few years right. and then they say oh, no one no one's reading this let's make it a number one well, again let's do a number one well yeah they, they definitely have started to do that uh, in the last like 10, 15 years. But, uh, that being said, like this one is specifically kind of written as let's learn about black Panther. Let's learn about Wakanda. Let's learn about his sort of world and all the characters that are around him. 
So I think in that respect, it's kind of a, a good one to read. I think the story is a little bit contrived later on as it gets going. And it takes a while for us to kind of see the main character. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it takes a little while to get going, I think. But um, there's a lot of like world politics that they have to kind of get out of the way. But it's, it wasn't my favorite. But um, I do like that it sort of introduces things over time. Uh, we move on to, I'm going to briefly mention in 2009, there is a new Black Panther, which came out as volume one. And this is when Shuri takes over. So if you want to, you know, kind of read how she became Black Panther and why she became Black Panther, there's a whole storyline there. But we're not going to talk about Shuri because she deserves her own issue. So Which I'm sure will come later. later. I'm sure we will come back to her later. Uh, in 2011, uh Matt Murdock, Daredevil, kind of went away. He had to, I think, go to jail for a little while. So Black Panther, who at this point, T'Challa does not have powers because Shuri holds the title of Black Panther. And so he actually comes back, uh, comes to Hell's Kitchen, and 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 he is featured in the title Black Panther, the Man Without Fear. And he sort of puts on this militaristic, heavily armored suit, um, sort of a scaled down version of his, uh, of his armor. And he uh, takes another alias. Um, and has a couple of years in Hell's Kitchen. So it's it's a different kind of a take, and he sort of learns to um, not rely on all of the vibranium. Uh, and he has no powers. He has no, like, regenerative healing. He doesn't have the stamina that he normally has. So it's kind of an interesting uh, storyline. And then there's a lot of stuff with uh, in the comics where he's he doesn't really have his own book, you know, after that, because Shuri is Black Panther. Um, he does pop up in the Black Panther book where Shuri is the title uh, character. And he, uh, of course, is part of um, the Avengers. And, and there's the whole like um, secret invasion where he's he's part of that. And then uh, Marvel also did a thing where he's um, where they had the Illuminati and the Illuminati had a whole kind of series of it's like so him good. And Professor X and Fantastic and Namor and Black Bolt and, and um, Dr. Strange and, and uh, it's like these kind of key players and, and their sort of role in manipulating events and what things that have to happen and stuff like that. So Black Panther's sort of in charge of that. Um, and then <laughs> as we're going through these different things, one of my definite recommendations for Black Panther is a storyline um, which was introduced in 2016, which is volume six of Black Panther. And this is the storyline is called A Nation Under Our Feet. And it was written by Ta-Nehisi Coates and illustrated by Brian Steelfreeze. And this is, this is just an amazing comic period. It is Ta-Nehisi Coates is a, is a writer for the Atlantic. He wrote this really great book and, and Marvel kind of went to him and said, Hey, you know, you've been quoted as saying you really love comics. What do you want to write? Like, do you want to write something for us? And, as, as Marvel has been known to do and they've done that with different people. And, and uh, he was like, I want to write black Panther. And so they, they kind of gave, they kind of gave him the book and um, the storyline kind of features T'Challa, you know, coming back into power as black Panther. Shuri is sort of in this uh, what's called the living death. One, one of Thanos's uh, lieutenants Proxima midnight has sort of frozen her into this sort of comatose state. Um, when Thanos, of course, Th Thanos' forces tried to take over Wakanda is, is because who doesn't try to take over Wakanda in the comics? Yeah. He got tired of trying to take over New York. So he's like, yeah, let's go after Wakanda. 
so Shuri is kind of in this state of suspended animation. Um, the entire nation of Wakanda is sort of in an uproar that there, you know, he hasn't been around. Um, so there are a lot of the people in the, in the country are kind of like, where is this, you know, where have you been? You've been with the Avengers. They call him the orphan King. Um, so, and there's this sort of social uprising. Um, it's kind of showing that there's Wakanda is not this perfect society, this, this utopian advanced, uh, technology society. And there's a lot of cracks because, um, he's been off and doing other things and saving the world, doing great things. But, um, it sort of shows that there are cracks, uh, in, in the painting. So, Wakanda had been attacked by Dr. Doom. It had been attacked by Namor who got the power of the Phoenix force and Avengers versus X-Men and Namor, when he had this power destroyed Wakanda with a tidal wave. Yeah. And so, you know, Wakandans are a little bit mad. And uh, so do that. The storyline kind of talks about how T'Challa kind of comes back into his own as a king and he has to figure out how he's going to be the king that his people um, respect. And it's not just by like fighting the people that are, are rising up because the people that are rising up are actually gaining respect. There uh, there's characters. There's two uh, characters called the midnight angels, which are um, revolutionary uh, Dora Milaje and that have, that have sort of, defected and they don't want to serve one man. They have this whole thing about like not one man and they want to kind of, they start this whole revolution of all the women in Wakanda standing up and sort of fighting. And then there's this other set of villains that um, uh, one of them has the ability to take control of the minds of, of, of people in, in Wakanda. So she controls all of these, uh, all these people to kind of revolt. And, and so it, it's, it's got some supernatural elements to it and superhero villain kind of stuff, but it also has a lot of like political allegories to the things that are going on, even in our country. And it's really interesting to, to kind of read that. And it's written beautifully. And the, the comic book superhero stuff sort of takes a backseat to this really nice story. And there's all this, you know, great dialogue. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend it. it it's not a, I don't want to say kid friendly, but it's, it's definitely more of an adult, um, an educated black Panther story. It's really well done. It's, it's, you know, it's such a good comic book. Um, it almost transcends being a comic book. So uh, if you like a very mature, you know, kind of comic and, um, that's intelligent to read, I definitely recommend, uh, the a story called it's a nation under our feet by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And Brian Steelfreeze, amazing artwork. The next one is also by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and it is a shorter collection. It's it's a shorter storyline called Rise of the Black Panther. And so he had done such a great job with this, you know, first storyline. Marvel said, hey, do you want to do sort of early years of Black Panther? And so I think it's only like six issues. But it's the short thing. It's the short storyline. Um, the art is done by Evan Narc. I'm probably going to say this wrong. Evan Narcisa, um, and the covers, which are really awesome, uh, are done by Brian Stillfreeze, uh, who did the other storyline that Tahisi Coates did. Um, and it it talks each issue sort of tells about the the early years of Black Panther. How um, the first issue is all about his father and how his father sort of 
uh, met his stepmom and, you know, he gets eventually uh, killed by, by Ulysses claw and, and sort of the, the beginning. Right. And then like each issue after that features like kind of a major moment leading up to eventually it, issue six is it shows like how, okay, now I'm going to join the Avengers, you know, but, but all of those other things that happen sort of features all these, you know, it, it features how Killmonger um, comes back to uh, he comes back to Wakanda and sort of starts slowly building this resistance and eventually has have a big you know battle with um, T'Challa and and it shows all these different you know things that are kind of building up but it's it's done really well it's it's I, I would recommend that if if you haven't read anything from Black Panther um rise of the black panther is a really nice uh trade paperback you can get together the artwork is amazing um so that's really fun as well um the last book i'm going to recommend is actually not a graphic novel or a comic book but it's actually kind of an art book or it's a history of black panther book and it's called the marvel handbook visions of wakanda and if you like our podcast this is sort of a a printed version of the history of the character. So this is a really great book for those who want to read about the history of black Panther, get a taste of those uh, books that we've mentioned all in one big tome. It's got comic excerpts, covers, sketches, pinups, quotes from the uh, creators, summaries of each era of the comic and info about uh, the creators. So it's, it's a really great book. It's pretty thick. Um, I was able to kind of flip through it and, and see a lot of the content and get, get some ideas for the issue that we're talking about from this book. So again, uh, Marvel handbook visions of Wakanda is, is an amazing recommendation. If, if you're just a fan of black Panther, you want to kind of see uh, the overview of, of all of his appearances in Avengers and his solo titles and all these things in the eighties, kind of like little appearances here and there. And you're just a fan of the art. Um, if you're a fan of the character, I would definitely recommend picking that up. Now that's a lot. <laughs> that's it's a, a lot. lot of comics. <laughs> but hey, the character came out in 1966. There's going to be a lot to read. So there. Uh, just based off of what we said, just find the story that seems interesting to you. If you haven't read much Black Panther, just jump on right there. There's lots of issue ones of it. So just pick an issue one and go for it. Yeah, uh, I I only have when we I know we're really going to talk about Grail finds briefly, but. Um, the, the only book I own that's Black Panther is A Nation Under Our Feet, which I picked up recently, um, kind of in, in preparation for this. And I'm glad I did because it's it's amazing, as I've talked about. But uh, I'm definitely going to pick up some more after looking at some of these online and on Comixology. And I I'm, I'm definitely want to own some of them in hardcover and trade paperback. So uh, but that's that's my grail find is is the Nation Under Our Feet storyline hardcover edition with a lot of the artwork. Oh, you fancy. (laughs) Well, that's how it came is hardcover. Okay, Uh, we're going to take a break and then we will be back to talk about adaptations. Hey, adventurers, it's me. Gliza from Classical Adventures for One. Have you ever wanted to know more about the classical books that your teachers forced you to read way back when? Were you worried that they'd be dry or boring? Did you know that there's so much more genres to classical books than you have fingers? Fear not, adventurers. Let me, your dulcet voice tour guide, hold your hand and show you the very versatile world of books from the past. 
and maybe, just maybe, we'll learn a thing or two together. Go to classicaladventures4.1 or at Classical Gliza on Twitter to learn more. The best way to support us is to leave a rating and review. A five-star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other things. And a review about what you liked in ep- in the episode does so much more. We really like five-star reviews, by the way. If you, if you can give us a five-star review, even better. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. You can find us on Twitter at CBKCast using the hashtag CBKCast with your ideas, what-if ideas, or any questions or comments about anything that we discuss in the show. If you want us to talk about a certain character in the future, or if you have questions about something we mentioned, let us know. We're on Instagram at CBKCast. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. Check his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, as well as getting all of his music for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. Now let's get back to the issue. My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. We're going to talk about adaptations of Black Panther. We're going to start with the big one, which is the film. Uh, The Black Panther film came out uh, for phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. When we said we were going to do this issue, it, it, I'll be honest, it was kind of, I was like, I want to make sure that we do this justice because Chadwick Boseman did such a good job with this character, portraying him as a live action character. And I know that it's hard to even think about, um, you know, what can they do to to live up to to this character? And, um, but you know, we, we want to do him justice. We wanted, we wanted to talk about, the history of the character and, and um, kind of pay homage to that. So portrayed by Chadwick Boseman, the character of T'Challa was introduced in Captain America civil war during phase three of the Marvel cinematic universe. This is where we see the death of his father T'Chaka at the hands of the winter soldier, but actually by helmet Zemo 
T'Challa becomes king and accordingly the new Black Panther, seeking revenge on Bucky and joining with Iron Man in the Civil War. He ultimately learns the truth and when presented with the chance to take revenge, spares Zemo's life. And this is an arc for a supporting character in the movie. <laughs> it's, it's called Captain America Civil War. And this is Black Panther's arc. That's what's so mind blowing about this. Like, oh, yeah. That there's all these subplots. Um, but what a way to introduce this character. Yeah, it's, it's, the first time. Do you remember like the feeling you had when you saw him in the suit for the first time yeah. on that rooftop? Oh, yeah. man, that that suit looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a man crush. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yep. So in his own film, the character and the mythos of black Panther goes to the next level for T'Challa himself. He learns what kind of King he has to be opening Wakanda to the rest of the world, not living in his father's shadow and embracing the support of his family and allies. But we see the enhancement of his suit able to form from his necklace and also absorb kinetic energy and release as a shockwave. So it's some pretty cool stuff. And a lot of this came from the Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, storyline. Because for a while in the in the comics, you know, he has this large collar and a cape. And in the late 2010s, um, the comics, the, the outfit, the cape kind of goes away. And it's it's neat that they, they kind of went with that version, the sort of streamlined version. Uh, I, I can't imagine the the cinematic universe version having a cape. It's just weird to think about. So we're also introduced to several key players in his life, including uh, sister, his sister, Princess Shuri, his stepmother, Ramonda, leader of the Dormelage, Okoye, undercover spy and former lover, Nakia, CIA agent Everett Ross, elder statesman Zori, best friend and head of the border tribe, Wakabi, Opposition comes from several characters, including Eric Killmonger, Ulysses Claw, and Jabari tribe leader Mbaku. And Mbaku. that's a lot of characters. It's a lot of characters. So but many. every single one of them is so good. They crush it. Absolutely every single <laughs> one just crushes it. So with an amazing cast, including Michael B. Jordan, Angela Bassett, Danai Guerrera, Forrest Whitaker, Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya, Lapita Noongo, Winston Duke, Andy Serkis, Martin Freeman. It's it's just amazing. So uh, amazing female cast, such great female characters. Uh, probably one of the best, if not the best villain in the Marvel Universe, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Killmonger had such a great p- portrayal. I mean, and, you know, if you look at the comics version of Killmonger, He's he's kind of ridiculous. He's got this crazy, you know, Afro mullet and he's got these like big, big spikes on a on, you know, things around his legs and this, you know, white pants with no shirt. And he's it's just he's kind of crazy looking and a little bit silly <laughs> and not not, you know, intimidating, really. Uh, I mean, he's he's an intimidating dude, but, you know, he's also wearing some ridiculous stuff. And in the in the movie, he's just he's. A force uh, to be reckoned with. He is a force. He is a force of nature, and and he's and he's uh, he has a whole plan of how this is going to work, and and it's and it's completely legitimate. And you honestly like feel for this character. You're like, oh, I can see where you're coming from. Okay, yeah, I can see why you would be upset about this entire situation. So, such a good character. Yeah, such a good character. You know, your dad just happened to be killed by yeah. 
the king of Wakanda and was left in America with literally no one to take care of you. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you can see why he turned out Mm -hmm. the way he did and uh, his motivations, which is what, what makes Michael B. Jordan's interpretation of, of Killmonger so impressive. Such a great adversary for T'Challa because, you know, he's, T'Challa loves his father and then he finds out, you know, that his father did this terrible thing and he lied about it and, and his father's dead. And, and so it's kind of like this, it, it offers all these levels in, in the character that they can play with, you know, and and it's just, yeah, he has to like overcome that and overcome his fear of, you know, what, what it means to, to face, like a fault of, of something that, you know, something that you really wanted to believe in that your father like stood for, but then he has to realize, you know, no, I'm, I'm not my father. Like I, I have to be my own King. I have to be my own person. Yeah. I really, you know, I saw this movie, I think two or three times when it came out. Cause I, I, the first time I saw it, I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? It's, it's this so is much, so good. It's so much to take in the first time I saw it twice in the first week. It's released. I saw it twice. The first weekend. Yeah. Cause I think the, I did too. the first time I watched it, I, I could not take it all in. And yeah. I think the first time I saw it, honestly, I, I, I don't want to say I was, I wasn't disappointed, but I was just like, I don't think I comprehended what I just watched. Because when I went back the second time, I was like, oh, my gosh, because I was rather than trying to to look all over and catch every little detail, I, I felt like I was just able to really take in the film for the first time. And, oh, I left the theater the second time wanting to immediately yeah. go back for the third. So it was a little bit successful. Just a little uh, bit. It made it made over one point three billion dollars globally, yep. becoming the highest grossing solo superhero film the fourth highest MCU film and superhero film overall. Uh, so the fourth highest superhero film overall, the first three are uh, the Avengers films <laughs> um, and, and ninth of all time. Yeah. And, and just happened uh, to be nominated for uh, what, what category was it nominated for Chris? Well, so it was nominated for uh, best picture. Yeah. Uh, it was also nominated for production design and costumes, and it won for costumes and rightly so because wow, they were so good. And and it won many other awards besides just the Academy Awards. I mean, it, it won a Screen Actors Guild Award. It won a lot of awards in the British, uh, the Baftas, and and so and and this movie became a movement. It was not just commercially successful, but it wrote it raised awareness of the character. It sort of legitimized what black superheroes could do and, and strong black characters. Um, black Panther in, and Wakanda forever was a battle cry. Yeah. And the film went on to be, um, you know, this sort of movement in, in popular culture for, for black people in the sense that it was just saying like, Hey, we can, we can make a character like this um, not just successful, but, kind of a kind of a moment in in time where it shows like that characters like this can be um can have a a message and they can appeal to a larger group um so i have a quote from erlinger turner who's assistant professor of psychology at the university of houston downtown i think he kind of summarizes it really well 
Many have wondered why Black Panther means so much to the Black community and why schools, churches, and organizations have come to the theaters with so much excitement. The answer is that the movie brings a moment of positivity to a group of people, often not the centerpiece of Hollywood movies. Racial and ethnic socialization helps to strengthen identity and helps reduce the likelihood on internalizing negative stereotypes about one's ethnic group. That is all to say, it it has a really strong message. It speaks to a lot of people. And um, the movie is, uh, is not just a superhero movie. It's, it transcends that on many levels. So it's, I can't wait to see what they do with the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of questions, but uh, they definitely said it's going to pay homage to not just the character of T'Challa portrayed by Chad Boseman. They're not going to recast it. They've already announced that, you know, they are not going to recast the role, but it's definitely going to play with a lot of these characters that have been introduced already. And, and they have a lot to play with and there's definitely possibilities for bringing in like another character as black Panther, but a different black Panther, you know, it's, it's, it's been shown in the comics that we've talked about already in this issue that um, there, there can be other you know, characters that, that take on the mantle of black Panther. Let's talk about some other adaptations really briefly. So in TV and animation, um, the main one that we should mention is BET. The network BET produced a motion comic at animation uh, called Black Panther, which um, if you see motion comics and we've, we've talked about a couple of like motion comic stuff before. Uh, it's not my favorite, but you know, it's still cool that they, that he got his own sort of animated show in, in a sense. Um, I wish it was an actual animation, but instead of just motion comics, but it's still kind of cool that, that this happened. So it, it, this came out in the, um, in the two thousands and it was, uh, a motion comic of the, who is black Panther by, uh, Hudlin and Romita jr. And the cool thing is it was voiced by Jamon Hansu, um, who is a great actor and he's actually, he was in guardians of the galaxy <laughs> himself. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. One, one little fact as I was, I was looking for a video segment of this is in the comics, uh, the rhino is one of the villains that's kind of recruited by claw to fight and kind of kill, um, uh, black Panther. And in the animation, it's not rhino, it's juggernaut. Oh, <laughs> and, and I was like, and there's this great sequence in the comic where Rhino, I think it's like issue four, uh, where it shows Rhino on the Savannah and on the other, like he's on the left side of the panel and on the right side of the panel is an actual Rhino. And they have this, <laughs> they like run at each other and they wrestle and he like takes them down. And then, it, and it shows Rhino. He's like, huh, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> it's just this funny little like sequence. Yeah. Um, and then, I watched the little segment and it's like, wait, why is juggernaut doing that? And he's basically taking the role, taking the lines from the rhino. But yeah, anyway, uh, just a, just a funny little side note. Um, Hey, we go deep here at comic book keepers. (laughs) We, we share Um, information that you didn't even know you wanted. We didn't, you didn't even know about. We're here to do all of that, all of that 
research that you don't have time to do because, you know, TikTok takes a long time to look at. So uh, the other appearances, he's made many appearances in other animations and other animated movies. He appeared in the 1994 Fantastic Four animated show voiced by Keith David. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Keith David, voice of uh, Goliath from Gargoyles. He was uh, Dr. Fazolier and Princess and the Frog. It's just an amazing actor voice actor um you know and yeah no, so I watch what a gargoyles again yeah <laughs> gargoyles is great it's on disney plus um a younger black panther makes an appearance in iron man and armored adventures voiced by jeffrey boyer chapman he appears in one of my son's favorite shows called superhero squad the episode is tremble at the might of modok and he is voiced by tay diggs oh wow nice just kind of fun mm-hmm. He is in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and later in Avengers Assemble, uh, the cartoons voiced by James C. Mathis III. He's heavily featured. uh, Black Panther is heavily featured in the show's fifth season where they go on Black Panther's quest. And there's actually several Black Panthers uh, that that show up played by different people. Uh, Finally, Chadwick Boseman voiced T'Challa in the upcoming show, What If?, which is going to be on Disney Plus uh, as well. And uh, he's going to be featured in an episode where he gets picked up by the Ravengers and becomes Star-Lord. <laughs> so I it's cannot. T'Challa. What if T'Challa was Star-Lord? So good. I can't wait to look yeah. or watch that. So, and, and that's been, there's a little tease of that in the, the trailer for what if, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think big. what if is going to be like this. People don't even know mm-hmm. how amazing it's going to be, but people are going to flip their mind. It's, it's going to be so cool. It's, it's, it's bringing back people that were, to to kind of play characters that they played in in the MCU and they're replaying them and it's it's I, I can't wait it's and it's gonna be, it's gonna be nice to at least listen to Chadwick yeah. as yeah. as T'Challa one more time because yeah. like that's incredible and and we absolutely cannot have this have this episode without just like honoring Chadwick and and his memory and how. Yes, he played a one of the most iconic superheroes that will ever be shown on the big screen. But more importantly, he was uh, a, a hero in real life, even when he was going through uh, cancer and and fighting through that. He was not sharing that information with hardly anyone while visiting sick kids in the hospital. And when you look yeah. back on those photos, it it makes it even more powerful. It's just. This this guy was legitimately a hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, you know this this episode <laughs> as 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 meager as our little podcast is. Uh, you know we we dedicate this to to Chadwick Boseman and and um, just the memorable performance and performances that that he's uh, given. Uh, uh, I it's it's hard to like move on, but like we gotta we gotta go. Um, he, the Black Panther has shown up in Ultimate Avengers, uh, two voiced by Jeffrey D. Sams in this movie. He can turn into a humanoid Black Panther. That's a little different. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like, all right. Uh, and then, and then, uh, also James C. Mathis came back to voice Black Panther in the 2018 Lego film, Black Panther Trouble in Wakanda. So it, again, if you have a younger Black Panther fan, um, you can watch the Lego, um, the Lego version. He's he's appeared as playable characters and 
uh, NPC characters uh, in many, many video games. Uh, kind of some that stood out to me was uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. He was voiced by Phil Lamar. Yes. One of my favorite awesome voice, actors. voice actors. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you would like that. That's why I put it yeah, in Yeah, Phil Lamar, uh, two straight episodes because he also was yeah. static. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in uh, Disney Infinity 3.0. He was in Marvel Contest of Champions. Uh, he was in, you know, Facebook games, Superhero Squad Online, Lego, Marvel Superheroes 2, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, Marvel Strike Force. It, it's a popular character. He's going to show up in tons of stuff. Um, in the most recent uh, Marvel's Avengers Square Enix game, he is he was meant to be a one of the first uh, downloadable characters. Um, for the game, but they actually delayed the the character because of Bozeman's um, passing. So they released Kate Bishop as Hawkeye um, uh, first, and later um, uh, the uh, Black Panther character will be a, an available character. So I, I thought, even though the game's not that great, uh, I thought that was that was nice of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit repetitive. Black Panther, just really quick, we'll kind of wrap up. Uh, adaptations. Black Panther has also shown up in um, novels, both uh, for young kids and for young adults. Um, he's shown up in anthologies. Um, my son, who is six, has a, you know a little golden book of Black Panther. He loves Black Panther, um, and I I fully endorse it. He has a Black Panther toothbrush, Lance. Yeah, because that's what he wanted, and I and I said, of course you can have that. <laughs> Um, and he has even shown up in role-playing games. He was in Marvel superheroes in 1984 role-playing game. So we like to end our, our episodes with a little segment we like to call what if. What Each issue we do what nerds do best. We share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. And this week, because Black Panther's suit is made out of vibranium, which is one of the most incredible elements that is in the Marvel Universe, we decided to have our what if about what element would you want a suit made out of? And I'll add this one to the mix. I didn't tell you this before, Chris, but what animal costume would it be? Just because we have Black Panther oh. with vibranium. So... You pick your elements and also what animal suit it would be. Okay. Okay. Now to uh, give you an element and an animal. Yes. So why don't you go yeah, first? I'll go first. So I can think about it. Yes. So what I decided is staying within the Marvel universe. I would want a suit made out of Uru, which is the same uh, element that Thor's uh, uh, hammer Mjolnir is made out of, as well as, uh, the Destroyer is also made out of it. now. And the reason I wanted to choose Uru is because it's its ability to have magical enhancements. So if for some reason I needed a suit and I was in the good graces of the Allfather, Odin, or if we're talking like Thor is the Allfather at this point, if, if he can hook me up with a suit, I would want an Uru suit. And I would want it to be kind of a streamlined, um, like, shark kind of a suit. Now, Uru usually isn't made into, like, a suit. It's usually a weapon just because of how heavy it is. 
But if you can get that magical enchantment to maybe make it a little lighter and more convenient to use. So it's high in vulnerability, uh, takes a lot to break it, if at all. There's very few things that can, apparently, except for when Hela just squeezes it. Uh, sure. So just avoid her. Uh, <laughs> and so basically, super powerful. Uh, can do a whole bunch of stuff depending on what magical enhancements you get. You could do a bunch of different things. Uh, Iron Man got Uru armor during the Fear Itself storyline, and he potentially could do a lot of interesting things. There was one point where could it even potentially do some like time travel or time manipulation mm. in the suit. So lots of different things. And I would just choose a shark because I think it would be really cool to have. <laughs> I just think it would be really cool to have like, you know. Wait like, a second. Wait a second. What? Wait a second. What? <laughs> you have this whole lead up with this amazing element and you're choosing a shark? Yes, I want a, I want a shark suit. Did you literally just jump the shark? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh my well, gosh. No, the Black Panther storyline <sighs> in the space. But just folks, just think about uh, just think. Let us know on Twitter if you think Lance made the right choice. <laughs> I did. You're, I'm 100% correct. Just think how sharp the teeth would be. Magically enhance it and swim through the air. Not flying, swimming through the air. And what would your what would your name be? The uh, mighty shark. I didn't even think about that. All right. Well, you think about that. Um, well, I have a very obvious answer, but also going with a not real element from the Marvel universe. I'm going to choose adamantium. Um, because of course I would. And, and I would say that the suit itself would be made out of adamantium. This is, this would be a character that, you know, is sort of like an antagonist to Wolverine. It'd be a villain character, but he's like, okay, well I'm going to go to weapon X and then they're going to have this thing. But then they are, they're like, well, okay, we, we made a mistake by bonding it to the, to the bones. Um, we're going to have, you know, a suit that's made out of animantium. So like multiple people can wear it. And, you know, it's, so there's this person that like takes the, the beta test version of the suit and he's like, okay, I'm going to go kill Wolverine because he killed somebody because he kills people. And, you know, it would be a villain and he's kind of done this sort of evil metal black adamantium painted suit. So Wolverine, like, you know, he can't, can't mess with him. He can't cut him. And it's the hardest substance known to man and Marvel universe. So that's what I would go with. It'd be a sort of like an anti Wolverine. Um, I don't know what it would be. Maybe I call him honey badger. <laughs> Maybe it'd be a honey badger. That's a, that's a different animal. Why don't you just choose? No, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting a little bit. I'm saying, okay, if it wasn't a Wolverine, I can't call him Wolverine. I can't call him, you know, anti Wolverine, but I, I would come up. I would try to think of some name for it. I think it would definitely be like a I think honey badger is great. Okay, I'll, I'll go with honey. So he's a honey badger, but he's wearing an adamantium suit. Got it. So Black Panther as as a little bit enigmatic and and you know I don't think he was as well known in the seventies eighties at least not to like the larger comics audience uh, with with these titles that came out in like the late nineties and with the Avengers and stuff like that um, started to really amp up the awareness of the character um but then it really took a turn when when uh, he came out with the mcu you know the, his appearance in the mcu is um it just changed the character completely you know uh mm -hmm. the the awareness of the character was just went next level 
it's time to close the book on Black Panther. So until next time, this is Chris. And Lance. Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Wakanda forever! I figured out my name. You ready for it? Yeah. Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh.